Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Thinking a bit about just how far our, uh, our culture has gotten away from God. Like, think about how crazy and dark things have gotten and how just inane and nuts some of the mindset and thinking is uh, that's out there. I could tell you some crazy stories from the high school that my kids used to be at. We just started homeschooling our kids, by the way, last week, uh, which was exciting. And day one, Ben says, I've learned more in my first day of homeschool than I would in a whole month at public school. I was like, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Loving it. Loving it. But, but there's, you know, it's like, do you remember the, back in 2004, we all saw the videos of, uh, the home videos of the, the tsunami, that, that, the Indian Ocean tsunami. And what would happen before the, the wave would come in, it'd be like this tide that would go out. It was, and everybody's like, what's going on? Where'd the, all the water go? And it's like what's happening in our culture. The, the, the tide of faith has gone out so far. It's like all you can see is unbelief. But what's going to happen? What happened is, is that the, the, the wave comes rushing back in as people realize, man, this mindset, this worldview, whatever we are living for, it is getting us nowhere. And I believe that God is preparing the church in this hour to bring in a great harvest. And I've been again sensing it. You know, like as I'm talking to students, Will and I have been prayer walking and just going up to students at Curtin University. Uh, we're meeting every week on the campus, at least once. Um, it, we didn't meet last week. But anyway, we're going to start meeting every week. We met the week before that. But we're going to start meeting every week from last week and uh, just going up to students. And, and just the openness, the willingness to engage in conversation and, and how easy it is to, to get to a point of sharing Jesus with someone. It's because something's happening in the soul of people in our culture. But man, there's got to be a people who are awakened to the call and the need. Like I've, I've been thinking about how the call to follow Jesus begins, like, you know, Jesus said to sit down and count the cost, right? And he, he, he then says, um, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And he says, he who, uh, if you lose your life, if, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospels, then you'll save it. And there's this sense that we realize as we begin to walk with Jesus that he's actually calling me to lay down my life. The cost of following Jesus, maybe you didn't realize this, but if, to be a Jesus follower means to become a fisher of people. It means that you must submit yourself to him and be a willing vessel through whom he can reveal himself to people in the world, to just be a tool in the Holy Spirit's hands. There is no option, all right? If you don't want that, then he says, don't follow me. Count the cost. This is what it's going to mean. I'm going to use you to extend my will and my purpose. Now, what, what Will was sharing, once you start to do that and you get in the flow of that, man, there is like a joy. Like when you just lay out the gospel for someone and you can tell the Holy Spirit like moved on them or had a word of knowledge, man, you just, man, is there any better feeling than that? You just feel alive and joyful and like, man, I was just used by God. 
But we've got to present ourselves as willing vessels. Tim Keller talks, uses this illustration of, of every fire. You know, before the Holy Spirit falls in our culture, there has to be an altar that is created. There has to be uh, an altar. There has to be wood prepared. When Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, you, know, you know, when the fire came down, the fire didn't come until what? Until Elijah prepared the altar. The wood was there. And so our willingness to, to, to be used by God is the altar upon which God's fire falls in our culture and begins to sweep through and transform uh, our nation. That was my little quick introduction there. Um, got a little carried away. But let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Hosea chapter 6. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 6. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Hosea says, uh, I want you to show love. This is God speaking through Hosea. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. God said through Hosea, who was this prophet that God basically said that you're going to marry a prostitute and her adultery against you is going to be uh, a, a prophetic symbol of the adultery of the people of Israel against me. And he was saying that the breaking of that covenant, that marriage covenant between God and his people, just like Adam transgressed the covenant in the Garden of Eden by rebelling against God, my people are making it all about these sacrifices and burnt offerings and going through these rituals, but they're lacking what I care most about is number one, a desire to know me, and number two, a love. Not just a love for me, but a love for other people. And we know it's a love for other people because Jesus picks up and actually quotes Hosea 6 in basically a rebuke to the Pharisees when they were trying to rebuke him. This is Matthew 9. Uh, the Pharisees weren't too happy with Jesus' pursuit of sinful people. Verse 9 says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined, now remember Matthew sitting at a tax booth, tax collector. You know, like maybe you're envisioning the chosen if you watch that. Uh, a little bit awkward, Matthew, in that show. But I don't know if that's what he's really like, but... Um, he, he, he's, he's hated by everyone, right? He's despised because he is sold out and joined himself to the oppressive Roman regime and he's collecting taxes on their behalf. Verse 10, as, and as Jesus reclined at the table, where? In the house, which is Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the New Living Translation picks up uh, the tone of the Pharisees, which uh, in the New Living Translation, he says, why is it that your teacher eats with such scum? <laughs> but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or love and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea. 
For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Or the New Living Translation, verse 13. I haven't come to call those who think that they are righteous. I've come to call those who know that they are sinners. Now we see another story that's very similar where, um, we won't read that one, but Jesus, you know, the story of Zacchaeus who climbs the tree and he's, he, he sees Jesus and, and Jesus uh, calls out to him and says, I want to go to his house. And, and people, not just the Pharisees, but the picture you get there is that everybody's like grumbling and complaining. Like, does he not know whose house he's going to? Why is he going to this sinful and broken person's house? And this is when Jesus responds, knowing what, hearing what they were saying. He says, uh, the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, there's another passage where, which is a couple of verses later in Matthew after this one, where Jesus is referring to John the Baptist and how they, they despised John the Baptist because he lived out in the desert and was, you know, lived this separatist lifestyle. But then they also despised Jesus because he's, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, sinners and, and so they call him a drunkard. And they had this insult for him. The insult for Jesus was, he is a friend of sinners. But Jesus embraced it. What was an insult from them was actually a badge of honor for Jesus, friend of sinners. So that's the title of our message today, Jesus, the friend of sinners. Father, we thank you for the transforming power of your word. And God, I'm asking that your word would get in our hearts, that you would impart something today by your Holy Spirit of who Jesus is. I am fully aware of my own imperfections and where I have fallen short, but I thank you, Lord, that, that you take over this moment. You, you, you speak through me, and Holy Spirit, would you be the teacher that you promised Jesus said you would be and teach every person here. Speak to every one of our hearts. Lord, we want to love lost people more. Let me just pray that to him. Say, Jesus, help me to love lost people more. Help me to be more intentional after today about being a friend to those who are far from you. Lord, do a miracle in our hearts. Change us that we would be, mm, that we would become a people worth being multiplied. I just feel that prophetically from the Lord. The Lord is saying, I need this to be in you before I can multiply you. So I don't want to, let's just hear the inference of that. I don't want to multiply what you are right now. Ouch. Father, I thank you that you're here to impart something to us. Lord, it's not so much what we say we believe, it's how we live. Father, we ask that you would change how we live from today. Change us. Lord, I, I, I want... Lord, we've got to be a people that love the lost. Why else are we here? Lord, this is why you've sent us. Lord, help us to live this. Help us to live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as most of you know, I've shared my story before. I um, got saved in the mid-90s, which there was kind of the, the it's kind of cool to be a hippie again. There's this whole neo-hippie culture at that time. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dazed and Confused. I hope not. It's a pretty dark movie. But if you've ever seen it, that's exactly what my friendship group was like. I remember watching that movie like, man, I've said the exact same thing as that guy just now. But I was radically saved out of this life of getting high every day. And my life was down, you know, spiraling downward into other crazy things. 
But amazingly, my other, my friend got right with Jesus at the same time, who was also one of my druggy friends. And we both like in a kind of crazy turn of events, ended up at the same church, but separately. And um, one of the, it was crazy because I'm, you know, there's all these other young people in the church, but it was weird because I ended up at this church and I'm, I'm just thinking, I would never pick to be these people's friends. Like, you know, it's like the, the realist, first revelation I had being a Christian was, I don't get to pick my friends anymore. Jesus picks my friends for me, you know, like what's happening to me? And uh, all of a sudden, but there's this depth of community and connection and just the life of God. And these became my people, you know, like we were tight. There was this depth of connection. And maybe you've experienced this as well, where you start kind of living and wrestling with the reality of living in two different relational worlds. Like I've got my people, the people of God, my covenant relationships, the, the family of God, these are supposed to be my most important relationships. But then I've got this circle of friends over here that are still living the same way that I was living before. And I'm trying to go back in and influence them without being influenced by them and just wrestling with this challenge of how do I do this? I've got these friends over here. They build me up. I'm, I feel I'm around these people. I know I need to pour into them. But man, when I get around them, especially I go into their world and doing you know, around them when they're doing their things, I feel it brings me down. And we, we start to feel this tension and this drawing. I don't really want to hang out with these people anymore. I want to hang out with these people because they're kind of more in line with the direction that I'm going and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And we have to wrestle with this reality of two relational worlds. And we have to deal with the reality that it's actually more comfortable to hang out with our Christian friends, is it not? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever, ever felt the discomfort? All right, every time Will and I, like we show up, Will and I on the campus the other day, and it's like, we're both like, I didn't really wanna to come today. Yeah, I didn't really wanna to come today either. I really had to push through my flesh because I almost canceled and I'm like, yeah, I almost canceled too. So, um, you know, it's a it's battle, it's, it's uncomfortable. And, you know, maybe one of the reasons it's uncomfortable is because maybe our friends, once we come to Christ, don't really have the greatest perception of, of what Christians are like. You know, everybody thinks that, that Christians are like Angela on The Office. Have you ever, ever seen anybody, any Office fans? <laughs> are you, are you going to be like Angela now? Like, what's, what's going on? You know, there's, there's the one um, episode in season three, I think it is. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> if, we have this thing, like when you can't find anything to watch on Netflix, just watch The Office, right? And so it ends up, we end up seeing like the whole thing like three or four different times. I know it's a much more holy. We haven't watched it in a long time, but you know. <laughs> but there's this one scene where there's this inappropriate watermark on the paper. And, uh, and so Jim is leading The Office that day and he's trying to lighten the mood in The Office. And so he's asking uh, you know, what three books would you want if you were stranded on a desert island? And uh, Jim asks Angela, and she says, the Bible. And then Stanley says, well, that's only one. What's your second one? She says, purpose-driven life. And then Jim's like, nice, okay, what's your third? She's like, no. You know, and like this very uh, hypocritical, judgmental, like, I don't need anything else. I just need the Bible and the purpose-driven life, you know? And so you've got this kind of mindset that people have that are you gonna is that what you're gonna be like you know are you gonna be whatever this perception is in my mind of what a christian is but what happens is is we actually get around people and and this is why it's so important to be friends with people who are far from god because there are some there there 
there are things that need to shift and change in people's mindset about what Christians are really like. Like, it's so funny. I was, you know, in the, at the jujitsu gym, we'd be rolling and, and, you know, trying to strangle each other. And then afterwards, guys like, so what do you do for work? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And he's like, no effing way, man. That's crazy. You know, like, that's the last thing I expected to hear from you. You know, like, yeah. It's... But the tendency is we, we might just cut off those relationships because it's so uncomfortable. Or if you've been a Christian for a long time, you tend to find that after a while, because, you know, um, I've cut those relationships off. All I have is friends mainly that are uh, Christians. But Jesus doesn't just want us to be like him in his character, in obedience to the law. He wants us to be like him in his love for lost people. He wants us to be like him in his friendship with people who are far from God. He, he wants us to be not like the Pharisees who were separatists, had their own little clique and who judged the people that weren't a part of their group. He wants us to be like him who is, who, who is aligning more and, and, and going into the world of people who are far from God. We never see Jesus cutting off relationships, ever. We always see him engaging people in relationships who are far from God. And so the first thing that we really learn from this verse is that Jesus had real friendships with lost people. They were real friendships. When he was insulted by the religious leaders, Jesus quotes Hosea, I want mercy from you. I want love, not your sacrifice. In other words, he's saying to the Pharisees, you're just like your ancestors. You are not engaging these people in friendship. You don't want relationship with them because uh, you, you have this view of them that if you get around them, you're going to become dirty. Something's going to rub off on you. He's saying, if you really knew God, you'd be doing what I'm doing. Okay, let's think about that. If you really knew God, Jesus is saying, if you really knew him, if you really knew the Father, you'd be doing exactly what I'm doing. That's what begins to happen in our life. The more we begin to know him, the more we get drawn into this desire to reach people who are far from him. Can we hear that challenge for ourselves? The, the authenticity of our relationship with God is evidenced by our strong desire and our intentionality in engaging people in friendship who are not Christians. How about that? The authenticity, if we really know him, we'll be intentional about this. Sharing Jesus with others is not just something that we can do when we feel like it. Because if we wait until we feel like it, we're probably not going to do it very often. If we wait until, you know, I'll wait till the Spirit moves me, you know, like we're probably going to be waiting a long time. Like there has to be this decision that we make. It's like I was saying, meeting up with Will this last week. Like I've got to decide, no, I'm not going to cancel. There's other things I need to be doing, but this is most important. Jesus was willing to leave the 99 to go after the one he prioritized, that feels counterproductive to me. That feels not, that those, that's not urgent. It wasn't urgent to get out there on Curtin Uni campus this last week. But, you know, we were talking afterwards like, man, how amazing is it that we, that God sent us 
all the way to our separate places and sent us out after this a divine appointment talking to this guy named Will. I have this little thing, this tool I use called the God test, where you ask a series of questions. And I'll give you some God tests sometime. Maybe we'll go out and do the God test sometime. But basically, you, the first question, do you believe in God? There's a side A for the atheist. So if they say no, you turn to side A, and there's, other, there's these questions. If they, if they say, yes, I believe in God, then they're a believer, side B, and you go on side B, and there's a different questions. And so it's just a nice way to engage people in conversation. And the real goal is just to get to a point of praying with them and sharing a little bit of the gospel with them. And we left there thinking, man, that was a powerful moment. Like his heart was really open. And we had this word of knowledge, prayed, over, prayed for him, and uh, Will prayed for him. And it was just this divine appointment, this sense that, man, God loved this kid so much that he stirred us to meet and go and talk to this person. Then we're walking around thinking, imagine if there was like six of us out here or eight of us. How many more divine appointments would there be? How many kind of divine connections could, could happen? And yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but we've got to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and intentionally befriend people who are far from God. Um, I didn't ask you, Martin, if I could share this story, but I'm just going to take the liberty and you can rebuke me later if, if, if you need to. But uh, you guys know Martin was and Raquel were away on holidays with her family and they were on uh, a boat for a part of that time in, in Europe. And they invited a family that they know here from Perth to, that they're reaching out to, to come be with them on the boat for a week. Provided that time for them. Really with the sole purpose, yes. I mean, that's a high level of engagement and friendship with an unbeliever, right? Think about that. You go on holiday and, and you are so much my friend that I'm gonna bring you, I'm gonna bring you onto my boat that I'm paying for so that we can have a nice time together. All right, it's one thing to go have a coffee with someone. And man, the stories that uh, Martin and Raquel were, were sharing about just the opportunities to share Christ. Now, granted, you did get up in the morning and put T.D. Jake's messages on in the boat, you know, so, you know, you had that he was cap captive, you know, like, where are you going to go? It can't go anywhere. But, but that's what I imagine Jesus was like, such a true friendship that I'm going to bring you into the most intimate space of my life. And I'm going to let you see who I really am. And just those moments where this family's marveling, like you guys were just at each other trying to get the sales working. And now you're like, love each other again. How did, what is different? What's going on with your family? Like, talk to me. What is this? You know, it's when we get that close to people in friendship that there's opportunities. It's actually easy to engage people in friendship if we're looking for those opportunities. If you're a student in here, it's not hard. You've lost people all around you, right? In your workplace, building friendships. Natalie was sharing at our life group the other night about uh, inviting a friend for a coffee. There was a work, somebody at work, and I think you were sharing it. It felt, it felt like it, I thought it might be a little bit awkward. I felt I was supposed to ask her for coffee, and it felt a little bit awkward, but I did, and she was keen to come, and we had a great time. There was some great conversation in that moment. Clients in your business, perhaps. I, I had a client back when I had a business for seven years before uh, we moved here to plant the church. And uh, there was this one girl that 
I, I just, her heart was really open. And after all of our mentoring calls, I would pray for her. And, you know, she, we would talk a bit about faith. And then she ended up coming to Christ. And we baptized her, God bless her, it was freezing cold, in a swimming pool in the middle of COVID. We had like this covert operation where, do you remember that? We're like secretly, you know, we're all in lockdown and we're secretly driving to a friend's house to, to the swimming pool. And, and uh, it was so cold, it was middle of winter. And, and it was like, I was the one baptizing her, right? So I was like, all right, you need to get right down in the water. And so here I'm like stepping down on the little step, you know, I'm like dipping her in like this, like, you're going to get in there, but I'm not, you know, I'm still going to get this done, but I'm not going to get cold and wet. Maybe you've got an interest or a hobby that you can engage people in friendship through. Whatever you love to do, find some lost people to do it with. Join a club. I mean, this is, again, the, the gym. I've told you about the, the workout gym. Liz and I hitting up the gym. Come on, relationship goals. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, lifting weights every week. And uh, I've told you about Brandon in the sauna, right? So here's my friend Brandon. And now I, there's so many connections. Got a little friendship with Brandon. And, and we've hung out in the sauna several times. And so now he introduces me as this is Jason and his waterproof Bible, you know, because it's and, and then it, that even the last time I was in there, that opened up an amazing opportunity to share Jesus with the other guy that was in there. Uh, I'll tell you about that maybe next week. But it's just having these moments and conversation. And uh, Lives was trying to steer the conversation the other day to this with this girl in a sauna. To, towards the gospel and I totally messed it up because I think we were talking about AI or something and you were trying to like bring it back to the soul level of like, you know, there's still this longing in people's hearts for connection and relationship with people. And then I was, didn't pick, the, pick up the clues because I was like, yeah, but what about when AI is indistinguishable from people? <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing to me? How, how do you expect me to get to the gospel when you're railroading my conversation? We all have neighbors that live around us. My friend across the street, Sean, which we got to catch up with. We probably need to, we need to go to another level of reaching out to them. We've, uh, he's started training jujitsu at a different gym. So I'll have him over in the mats and we'll roll around. It was really weird when one of uh, my daughter's friends dropped her off and I'm like mounted on top of him, you know, and, and I look up and, and I think that was when Jake came over. That was when you came over, Jake. And I'm like on top of Jake. Uh, and it's like, oh no, no, it's good. We're just doing martial arts. This is not anything weird. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, so Sean, the neighbors across the street, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities around us if we'll just see them and be intentional because we got to be intentional. It's not comfortable. And so therefore, because it's not comfortable, it's often out of the comfort zone. There'd be a small percentage of us in this room that love that, right? Carolina, I bet you love that. You strike me as a type of person, just you're talking to everybody. You know, in strengths finalization, we call you high woo, like you, you're just wooing all over people. Woo stands for winning others over. Uh, but I'm not like that. I have to be intentional. Most of us, we have to be decide, okay, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone here and I'm going to have a conversation when it would be much easier just to sit here and be quiet and, and think about other things. Red frogs, obviously, great opportunity for all of us to to go onto the university campus and engage people in friendship. That's the beauty of the dinner. Friendship that then leads to opportunities to share Jesus. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God 
is pleased with us when we intentionally pursue friendship with lost people. He is pleased. He loves that. He loves it. And so none of us, you know, many of us in this room would probably not say, hey, I'm a great evangelist, but we can all engage people in friendship. That's a heart thing. That's a heart issue. Another thing we see in this passage is that Jesus intentionally merged his two relational worlds. When, uh, when Jesus went to Matthew's house to meet Matthew and hang out with him, he didn't go alone. Who did he bring with him? He brought his 12 disciples. And so Jesus had two relational worlds. He had his disciples. This was his church friends. And then he had his sinner friends, his unsaved, unbelieving friends. And then he would uh, merge those worlds because Matthew, what did he do? He brings all of his other sinful friends over to hang out and meet Jesus. And so Matthew and Jesus are merging their relational worlds. And so Jesus was intentionally connecting his non-believing friends with his believing friends. And this is one area I look back on my early days as a Christian. I think, man, I could have done a lot better with this because I was kind of like parachute dropping into you know, my friend's house when they're getting high or to hanging out at the bar with them. And I'm trying to, and I'm like, scratch me, why can't I get around to the gospel here? You know, by the time I do, they've had too many beers. And I'm like, this is pointless. Um, this is bringing me down. But when we can merge our relational worlds, not only is it important for us to, uh, you know, partner with others in reaching people, but something begins to happen in, in people's uh openness to the gospel. Missiologists have worked out that one of the primary reasons that someone comes to Christ is because of a connection into a new community. There begins to be these new relationships that happen. In sales, we call this third-party validation. You know, when I, I remember they would, in, in sales things, they would say, Okay, so you need to get this person and then get this other person on the phone because it's not just you that believes it, but it's this person as well and have them tell your person about it. And there's this thing of, oh, wow, it's not just Jason, but it's this other person that believes as well. Keon, you're really great at this. Where are you, where are you at? Keon, you're really great at this. Like we, I went to, had an appointment with Keon a couple of weeks ago and I show up and it wasn't just Keon. It was Keon and his friend. And I was like, this is great. You know, like I'm hanging out with his friend who's on a journey towards God. And it was a beautiful opportunity to share Jesus. I can come in there and throw the smack down and you can go away and be, you know, just keep loving on him. And, um, but we had a great conversation. It was very natural, just over coffee. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. But there was a merging of relational worlds. Uh, and the reason is this is because we have these plausibility structures, these frameworks for why we believe that some things are true and other things are not. And one of the most important and crucial plausibility structures, in other words, something becomes more believable, it becomes more plausible to believe it if we know a lot of other people that believe it as well, all right? Like, you know, there's, there's this growing number of people who believe in aliens now, right? And, and, you know, you go on Joe Rogan and his podcast and you hear him talking about aliens all the time and you got this growing community of people that listen to Joe Rogan who apparently had an, went on a, ayahuasca trip and, 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 vis and had this vision of these little jester people, which we all know what those were, and they're trying to help him fix his life and, and all this stuff. And, and, but he came out of that with this 
realization there's something out there and that there must be aliens, right? And so now it's so easy to believe in aliens because Joe Rogan believes in aliens and there's this big community that believes in aliens now. It's because uh, we, we, we have these plausibility structures that depend upon community. Same thing happened back in the, the Brexit vote. Why did people vote Brexit? When they broke it all down, uh, it, you know, the nation was basically split, but people that voted yes, voted yes because a lot of other people did as well. All the people in their friendship group did. Those who voted no all had friends that voted no, right? So there was, people were voting and believing and thinking in line with their community. And so this is the power of community. Community is a powerful force in shaping belief. It's the way God has created created us to be. And so if this is true, then one of our most powerful tools in, in, in sharing Jesus with others is just, number one, giving our testimony because something becomes more plausible when I know someone else believes it. This is why being a witness is so crucial. If we don't tell our story, then our, the, the, the existence and the, and the reality of Christ's resurrection isn't plausible. People need to know that other people believe this. And so it, it, it makes a way. And then the more people they get to know that believe that, in other words, you merge the relational worlds, well, then it becomes easier for people to believe. What if as a church we could get better at merging our relational worlds? And this is what we do at Red Frogs. But maybe if we go to the movies, you know, you, you have sometimes your friends invite you to your... You, you know, maybe you go out to the movies with your Christian friends. Why not take some non-Christian friends along? That, that'd be a good idea. Or your non-Christian friends invite you out. Hey, do you mind if I bring a friend? Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Bring some of your Christian friends. Just try, do what you can to merge the relational worlds. Final thing we'll talk about, and then we'll wrap up. Jesus used conversation to lead people closer to God. How do we know that? Because the language of the passage we read in Matthew, they're all hanging out around, around Matthew's table reclining. So they're all kind of in this very relaxed, relational posture, just having conversation. Jesus isn't standing at the front of the room or the end of the table preaching a sermon. They're having a conversation. And so Jesus is communicating truth to them through conversation. I can imagine Jesus is probably asking a lot of questions, trying to figure out where people are at. What are they thinking about? What's important to them? Getting people to tell their stories. Um, himself, I'm sure, telling some stories around the table. But a very relaxed, conversational environment we see in this passage. You know, often we think that when an opportunity comes up to share Jesus with someone, we got to lay out the whole gospel. I started doing that with, with Will, uh, the, the kid that we talked to, his name was Will. So Will and I were hanging out with Will. And I just started, man, I started going for it. I'm going to just lay out the whole gospel here. And I'm just thinking, this is going right over his head. I'm not really connecting here. So then I just started telling my story. And man, I could feel the Holy Spirit all over my salvation testimony. It was like, okay, that's what he needed to hear, you know? Sometimes we think we got to just lay it all. And sometimes there is that moment, right? But really the first time that we meet, you know, like there, it happens occasionally, but it's usually going to be a couple of times. Hey, let's, let's meet. And then let's try to connect after this at, a, at another place at another time. And then I can lay out the gospel. But we often think because we've got to lay everything out all at once that maybe we feel intimidated or we think, well, what's the point? And it keeps us from doing anything. Oftentimes, a conversation around the gospel is just that one next little truth that somebody needs to hear that leads them 
closer. Martin and his friend, Martin and Raquel and their friends on the boat, just series of conversations. You had dinner with these guys last night too, didn't you? Another layer of just conversation, just gradually nudging them. I love in the message translation, it speaks of Jesus and the reason he told parables and stories, listen to this language, to nudge them to receptive insights. I love that. Just a series of conversations, nudging people to being more receptive to the gospel. Here's a book I got uh, for you. There's four copies out there. If anybody wants them, you can see whoever's at the window and uh, we'll get your name and then send you the link. You can pay for it by credit card. You can have it at our cost. It's about $27. Um, How to talk about Jesus without being that guy. (laughs) The subtitle is Personal Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Sam Chaney's an Australian guy. Um, Amazing book. Super great book. Very practical, very relevant, I think, for our culture. But in this book, he talks about how we can, we can break down conversations about the gospel or just relationship with friends who don't know God into kind of three, three bite-sized chunks. And he calls it coffee, dinner, gospel. Coffee, dinner, gospel. And so this works out really well because there's really three natural layers of conversation that we have with people where we talk to people at the level of insights first, and then we talk to people at the level of uh, values second, and then we talk to people at the level of worldview third. So when we're just forming a relationship with someone, it's probably gonna feel a little bit too intense uh, unless you just rock up with the God test on campus. But in in a friendship that you know people through work or whatever, you just get to know someone, it could be a little bit too intense to go straight for worldview, right? So where do you start? You start on mutual interests. Talk about hobbies, talk about sports, what you did over the weekend. It seems a little bit shallow and, and surfacy, but there's a purpose in that because relationship grows and gets better in this safe zone of talking about interests. And then you can, and that can often happen over coffee, 30 minute coffee, catch up, whatever. And then you can take it to the next level after that Maybe have a dinner. And over dinner, it might be an hour over lunch. It could be a couple hours in the evening. But the relationship is going to the next level. And you can go down to the values level at that point. Hey, why, do you, why did you start homeschooling your kids? You know, or why, you know, why, why did you, or, or, you know, like, tell me about your upbringing. What was it like? You know, what are your parents like? What, what, what was your childhood like? How did you guys meet and get married? You know, what? Whatever, but just this deeper layer of conversation that can happen very naturally and normally over dinner. Still a pretty safe layer of conversation, but opportunities come up. Like we were at, um, the last time we caught up with some friends of ours, we we had some uh, friends, we need to catch up with them again. (laughs) Actually, it's been a while, but um, that some of our kids, one of our kids' friends' parents Really great. It's, if, if your kids are in primary school, it's super easy. Like it's the ultimate, like of connecting with other parents. So take advantage of that time. But it gets a little harder in high school. Uh, although we did have some of Sophie's friends come over once. And that was a great moment. They're all sitting around our, our dinner table. We're having a meal together. And it was this powerful moment. Like they, I mean, they, they come away from that, that dinner thinking, like they even have a conversation like, did you see the way that Sophie's parents were looking at each other in the eyes when they were talking, you know, it's like, like just basic things. Like it wasn't a romantic moment. We were just, 
we, we were just having a conversation, you know? And these people are like, these other kids were like, man, did you, you know, like, did you see that the way they're looking at each other? Like, they actually love each other. Like, you know, so all, you know, it's this, just getting people into your world. But anyway, back to this other couple, we caught up with them. You know, we're at the dinner stage where we're talking about family and life. And, and then she took it a little bit deeper. Here's what she asked me. Hey, what are you preaching on on Sunday? Come on. What a great moment. You know, so I started talking about how God is our father. And sometimes we might have an upbringing. Um, maybe we didn't have a very good father. And that father, you know, that's kind of how we learn how to relate to God is, is based on our natural father. If God's a father and if you had a not, not so great natural father, we might think that God is like that when we hear that he's a father. And it was this opportunity to just sow a couple of seeds. Wasn't trying to lead her to Jesus in that moment. It wasn't an altar call or anything like that. It was just nudging her to receptive insight. Point is this. Don't worry if evangelism for you looks like a series of conversations in friendship. That's actually a really good thing. Because Jesus led people to God through him in the exact same but of course, as we started out this message, it requires a decision. It, we know it's a decision because Jesus said, before you follow me, sit down and count the cost. Are you willing to be rejected by people for me? Are you willing to make me the most important person in your life? And are you willing to reorder all that you live for in your life around what's most important to you. That's what Jesus asks us to do. That's what it means to be his disciple. And remember, he said, if anybody's going to follow me, actually, when, he, when he, uh, he said to his disciples, when he called them on the shore, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. So Jesus, in calling us to follow him, is making us into something. There is no alternative. That's, there's no other option of following Jesus outside of making him the most important person in our life and laying down our lives completely for the gospel. I'm sorry if you didn't respond to that message, but I'm just letting you know now. Okay, that's the, that's the call to follow Jesus. We're laying our life down for him and for his mission. So maybe we'll just finish um, just responding to God over this word and. If the worship team could come back, that would be great. It would be good, I think, to just worship the Lord on the other side of hearing this word. And let's just have a moment to respond. Father, first of all, we want to just repent, to fall out of alignment with maybe an old way of thinking. We want, we want to change our mind about what it means to follow you, Jesus. Lord, we align with the reality that to follow you means to become a fisher of people. I love that word, become. It means it's a process. You don't have to be perfect at day one. The expectation isn't 
huge. It's just a willingness to open up our mouth, a, a, an awareness of what Jesus loves and cares about, which is the lost people around us. Just imagine, just see them. I'm just envisioning some of the faces at the gym where I train. People that I've been indifferent to, people that I've, I've shown up at the gym with an agenda to train. Lord, would you help us to become more intentional, more aware of how you want to use us, Holy Spirit, in these everyday moments coffee, dinner, gospel, starting new friendships, bringing people into the most intimate parts of our life. Having people in our home, being hospitable. Jesus, we wanna be like you in this way. And so Lord, we make a commitment to you right now to work together with you, Holy Spirit, in becoming more intentional, in engaging our lost friends in friendship, going deeper in those friendships, inviting them into opportunities over coffee and over a meal, just to go deeper, responding to you, Holy Spirit. make a decision in this moment. I just feel there's another commitment the Lord wants us to make, and that's, and this has to do with growing in a heart and a love for them, but also just in opening up a pathway for the Holy Spirit to begin to move. This is a crazy thought, but we got to pray for people we can expect them to get saved. God has chosen to limit himself by responding to our prayers. Maybe there's three people, five people that you can write down on a list. Just begin to pray for them every day. Just think about them. Ask God to save them. Pray against the enemy that's blinding their hearts, their minds. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation 
in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.